Hello and welcome to Pairing, a podcast where we pair wine with art and pop culture. I am your host, Emma Scherzarko, and in this episode, Winston and I discuss a long-awaited topic, Star Trek, and specifically, Star Trek The Next Generation. There's a lot we love about this show, and there's a lot to be critical of, and we do our best to cover both in this episode. I definitely think you'll appreciate it if you are already a Star Trek fan, but it also might inspire you to start watching the show, even if you've never seen anything Star Trek before. There are a few, like, kind of sort of spoilers in here, but probably nothing you don't already know. So have a listen and have fun. Thank you so much to our patrons, and especially our producer-level patrons, Emma Cohen, Rena Sarame, Zoo Yorker, Caitlin Van Horn, Michael Beck, and Rebecca Joy Henrietta White, all of whom I would like to hang out with on the holodeck. If you would like to join these stellar folks and get access to all sorts of extras for as little as $1 a month, come check us out at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast. Without further ado, here is episode 87, Star Trek, The Next Generation. Hello, everybody. It's Emma and Winston. Hello. Back at it. How are you today? I'm good. You're good? I'm good. good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, I'm very excited because this is something, this is a topic that's long overdue for us to talk about on pairing. And there's many different uh, iterations of this franchise. And uh, we decided that, or I decided, that I wanted to talk about the one that I know best, which is still not, like, super great. My, my knowledge, I wouldn't say I'm, like, an expert, but I have certainly watched a lot of it. We're talking about Star Trek. We're talking about Star Trek The Next Generation. Ooh. Yes. Okay, so we'll focus on Next Generation. So yes. That's a good, that's a good I mean, we parameter. Can, we can talk a little bit about, you know, some of the other, like the original Star Trek or and other stuff. Yeah, but, but, I mean, if it comes up, it comes up, but there, it's such a vast universe at this point that yeah. it's good to narrow it down a little. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but personally, like, I mean, I do know about you, actually, but the listeners don't know you as well as I do. But uh, I grew up watching Next Generation. Like, I remember, not, like, avidly, but, like, my dad would watch it. And so I'd go, I remember, like, spending Sunday mornings with my dad watching TNG. Uh, I Patrick Stewart is just firmly ingrained in my brain forevermore. I, see, I... I grew up going to the movies, mm. so that was kind of my my way in. Like I knew mm-hmm. my I had some friends uh, around my age growing up who were way into Star Trek and Futurama. They were the cool kids, you know. Star and, Trek and Futurama, those yeah. were the cool, the yeah. cool ones. Okay. Well, the, they, I thought they were cool. Yeah, <laughs> um, but so I knew enough the like the Borg and you know because uh-huh. the first Contact came out in '95 right, when I was right. when I was ten years old. So right. I really. Loved that movie, um, though in, it has many flaws, as do I many Star Trek things. I haven't seen it in a things. long time. But, but I, so I watched all those. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I would only catch scattered episodes, like the really, really big, like Klingon episodes. They would right. replay a lot, right? And, you know, like uh, Re- I think it's Redemption or Sins of the Father. Those are all the like Worf, yeah. Dishonor, yeah, yeah, Klingon yeah. Civil War uh-huh. episodes, and then. Um, you know, every once in a while I'd catch like one of the ones where they, they're in the holodeck the whole episode Love doing Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah. So data data's Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. It's um, brilliant. But so I, I didn't 
really know much about Star Trek except what other bigger and better fans of it would like relate to me about the lore because mm, I love mm-hmm. the lore. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, but then it was, I, th- I don't think it was until Star Trek started streaming on Netflix that I got like really obsessively into it gotcha. watching every episode multiple times. It's so good and it's such a good show to just like have on. L- yeah. Like like you said, like there's some like really tremendously wonderful episodes of it, but otherwise it's just kind of like fun to have on in the background yeah. like patrick stewart's gonna be being patrick stewarting yeah and i mean there are some episodes that i i make a habit of skipping and these i'm sure i'm sorry um marina sirtis but it's mostly the episodes about troy not because i don't find troy a compelling character but because a lot of the time she's getting psychically or mystically raped kind of yeah so and and i don't like that that's all they give her character to do a lot of the time well and and it's like with crusher too like her her episodes always have to deal with some kind of romance or something yeah and she's getting kidnapped a lot you know so there are very dated aspects of the the show from from what i understand uh generally the gender politics and the way women were treated on the set on set was was pretty bad pretty Pretty horrendous pretty horrendous i mean that's why gates mcfadden left for a season yeah um and what's the name uh, of the woman who i don't know the the, actor's name but but pulaski is the doctor who replaces her that's right and i actually i think pulaski is a great character and she has some really good episodes measure of a man Mm. is like the classic episode where they try to take data and disassemble him for parts oh yeah and it's also a a picard lawyer episode yes it's that's one of the best ones you excuse my bias but my my Picard lawyer episodes are my favorite. I mean, uh, Encounter at Far Point Station, arguably the first episode of the show, yeah. is kind of a Picard lawyer episode because yeah. Q puts humanity on trial. That's right. But then he also does uh, Measure of a Man, where he has to protect Data. Yep. He does the Drumhead, where it's like a, a, a crucible kind of episode, yeah, where the yeah, I think I know the like in, the Inquisitor General or whatever yeah. goes and starts like indicting everybody and John luke has to stand up against her and then i think my favorite and the kookiest one is the devil's do which one is that's where um they're at a planet and a lady shows up pretending to be that planet's devil and says she owns the planet now after a thousand years of peace and prosperity and Uh Picard is like you are not the devil you are charlatan and i'm gonna prove it and they have a court case and data's the judge i love it and it's it's so so, it's 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 super cool it's so good um Um, well since we're talking about picard yeah um which by the way has the second season of Picard come out yet? No, no. No, it's not come out yet? Okay. It's, I mean, it's done, I think. They filmed it. I'm sure it, that, but... yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to give, I mean, this was sort of the easiest, and, you know, I could have thought about it a little bit more, but you got to give Picard Bordeaux. Oh, yeah. Because he comes he, from... He comes from a vineyard in Bordeaux. I believe it's Bordeaux, <laughs> yes. I mean, if, it, if it's not technically Bordeaux, then it's, like, based on what is meant to be Bordeaux, I think. Um, But I'm pretty sure it is Bordeaux. And I often, I don't give Bordeaux as much credit as it's due because because it already has, like, such high status in the wine world. Um, And... It doesn't need your help. It doesn't need my help. No, (laughs) it doesn't need me. Uh, But 
it's got all the rich white men in the world. So it doesn't need me. So there, there is this sort of like elitist status thing that goes along with Bordeaux, sort of similar to like Napa cabs. Like there's this, there's this kind of culture surrounding it. But if you actually go to Bordeaux, I haven't been there, so I don't actually know this, but like, if you actually go there, I hope to, I hope to do that someday. It's just this beautiful, rich, diverse, not diverse, but, you know, rich wine culture there. Not a lot of diversity in the wine world, unfortunately. We're working on it. We're well, working on that it. that also but, uh, brings up one of my criticisms of Star Trek. Yes, absolutely. So you got to give, you got to give Picard Bordeaux. Oh, yes. And I was, I was going to say, you know, I don't talk about it a lot because I don't, A, I don't drink it a lot because it's hard to get Bordeaux that isn't very, very expensive. But when I do get to drink it and when I've had really, really good ones, it's it's mind-blowing. It's terrific. And so I just I thought maybe I'd take a moment here to talk a little bit about Bordeaux. And um, I was remembering one of my favorite experiences, favorite customer experiences, um, working in a wine shop. This was when I was working at the wine shop in here in Santa Fe, which is connected to a restaurant. And I guess whoever the, like normal psalm, which I think was my boss, he wasn't there and a customer wanted to order a bottle of Bordeaux. And so I was like, well, shit, like you probably know more about it than I do. That's the, that's the thing about like big Bordeaux, big Burgundy drinkers. I'm like, you can afford to drink it. So you probably know more about it than I do. But I did know some of it and I, or I knew a couple of the bottles that we had. And I just had a really nice conversation with this guy about what which wine to pair with his meal and blah, blah, blah. And the one he ended up going with, um, because there were a couple different options. And one of my favorite producers that I have tasted some Bordeaux of is uh, Ponte Canet. I believe they're right bank. <laughs> um, wait, let me look that up real quick. I'm wrong. Uh, Ponte Canet is in Puyac, which is left bank. Um, I still remember some things. But so, so when... Here's a, here's a couple of hot tips about Bordeaux because I feel like I feel like you know wine sno- wine snobs like to show off with their Bordeaux and if you know these if you know these things you're 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 on your way. So people talk about left bank versus right bank Bordeaux, and I know I've talked about this on the show before, but time to reiterate: left bank Bordeaux uh, just means it's to the left or the west of the. Oh, holy smokes. Is it the Garonne River? I'm going to look this up in a minute. It's the, the big river that, that goes through Bordeaux. So there's stuff to the, to the left of it. There's stuff to the right of it. You could say to the west or the east of it. Um, and then there's a part in the middle uh, because there's like some tributaries and that, there's an area in there called Entre du Mer, which I believe means literally between two seas. So, uh-huh. so that part is sort of in the middle. Um, and those wines, if you find wines uh, from Bordeaux called Entre du Mer, those are usually really good value because they don't have the big names of the right bank or the left bank villages, but but they're still making really good and wines. And is this the Rhone River? No, this is a different part of, I believe it's the Garonne River. Oh, Garonne. Okay. Here, I wasn't even close. The Rhone, the Rhone River is in the Rhone Valley, which is to the east of Bordeaux. Um, yeah. Okay. It's the Garonne River. And then there's two tributaries um, and the Garonne goes into the into the ocean into the sea there oh and out, out the south of France mm-hmm. okay cool and then it splits off into two tributaries and I don't remember the names of those but but anyway 
Left bank Bordeaux are Cabernet Sauvignon based. Right bank Bordeaux are Merlot based. That's the basic difference. It's the the different grape. Yes. Okay. So the five main grapes of Bordeaux are Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Cabernet Franc, Petit Verdot, and Malbec. Um, You'll find some other grapes in there too. And, you know, you'll find Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot in both right bank and left bank, but usually you're looking at like 80% cabs or something around there on the left bank and like 80% Merlot on the right bank and then the other grapes make up other stuff. That's not that's not always true, but um, that's a generalization. So yes, so there okay, so that's so that's the main thing, left bank versus right bank Bordeaux. Um, I'm not going to get into the intricacies of the difference in the terroir and the and the mouthfeel and the notes you get from the different ones. Uh, you'll, maybe we'll get into that someday, but not but not in a Star Trek episode. But uh, but the other main thing that people will ask you about Bordeaux is uh, the five Grand uh, Premier Grand Cru Classe, I believe, is what it is. So, but basically, we call it the the first growths, the five first growths. What that means is there are five producers in Bordeaux that ha- are considered like the best of the best. Oh, like like vampire houses. Or exactly, something. exactly. Oh my God. Va- Let's the write vampire counts. The vampire counts of Bordeaux. Um, so there's the count of. Okay, I'm going to remember this. Okay, there's Chateau Latour, Chateau Mouton Rothschild, Chateau Lafitte Rothschild, Chateau Aubryon, and Chateau Margaux. Those are the five. Nice. Nicely <sighs> done. Whew. I'm very proud of myself. Uh, but so... Back to this nice customer. I'm 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 sorry. I'm going off on this tangent. I just uh, this this customer. He he did something that I think John Luke Picard would have done, which is we talked for a long time. We had a nice conversation. He wasn't snobby about it. He just wanted a nice. He he loved Bordeaux and he wanted a nice bottle of wine. And we had a nice conversation about it. And um, he ended up going with a. Uh, second label of Chateau Aubryon, which is one of the first growths. This one wasn't a first growth, but is called Chateau Mission, Chateau La Mission Aubryon, I believe. And um, he ordered the bottle, and um, and then he gave me a glass of it, Aww. which was super sweet because I said because because we were t- between that and the Ponte Canet, and I was like. Listen, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I mean, I know this by reputation, but I've only tasted the Ponte Canet. I don't get the opportunity to taste a lot of Bordeaux. And so he said, here you go. And I thought that was just really sweet. And I think that's something that uh, Jean-Luc Picard would do. Yeah, it's classic. I brought it back. I brought it yeah, around. Yeah. We, took a, okay. we took a while to All get right. there, I'm but sorry. we got there. I'm sorry. I just, I feel like I haven't gotten into a lot of, a lot of wine depth recently. Yeah, so no, I just wanted jam. to. Wanted wanted to go wanted to talk about that a little bit. And actually, the rosé we're drinking right now is a Bordeaux rosé. Oh, there you go. I would bet you that it's from all over and or from the Entre-du-Mer region because it was not very expensive. But it's very tasty. Hmm. Yeah, and um, Picard in the show, I guess, he's not a big drinker, but there mm-hmm. is an episode called Family where he goes back to his chateau. Yeah. Where the, his brother's chateau, I guess, the family chateau. And um, he kind of talks about how, you know, wine is a drink for sharing. 
Yeah. You know, and, Absolutely. And, and all that kind of stuff. And I like I like that episode a lot because that's right after the Borg that's, episode. Yeah, it's like right? they were like, yeah. let's cleanse the palate. Yeah. So the, at least <laughs> the way it's presented now, it's the episode right after that. And in the and it's the first or it's the second episode of season four. Right. Um, yeah. So because the, the Star Trek always did that where it, the season would end in a cliffhanger. Right. And they'd finish it up in the next season. Yes. And yes. so it, I'm sure that was very frustrating to people watching it live, but it's delightful. It's, it's to delightful me. on Netflix <laughs> yeah. when it doesn't matter because it will just keep playing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, Bordeaux is good for Picard because he's kind of. One of the original Mary Sues, I guess the, the Starfleet captains almost always are. But, yeah. you know, even in that episode in Family, um, they're talking about, like, if he doesn't want to go back to the Enterprise, they want him to become the the head of the undersea labs. Right, uh, Just because, right. of course he can. Because, of course he can. Also, um, that sounds super fun. Every time and, I watch yeah. that episode, I'm like, yeah. oh, man. And he's a lawyer, and he's got a robot, robotic heart. Yep, and, yeah. Um, and, of course, he's... You know, what I do like about it, him, though, is th- they rarely have him actually do combat. Mm-hmm. And the one time that mm-hmm. they really do show him doing that, one of the times is when the car- actor who plays the younger him gets stabbed in the heart. That's right. Um, That's right. And so they with him, it's it's he's always trying to be the diplomat, the the attorney, the, you know, maybe the the tactician, but not he's not usually trying to do anything you know, hyper masculine, Kirk, no, Kirky no, kind of not, stuff. No, he's not Kirky. Yeah. Um, we have Jonathan Frakes for that. Yeah. Um, he's, he's, he does <laughs> yes. all the, he does all the, uh, <laughs> the canoodle. Canoodle, yeah. The, he swashes all the buckles. <laughs> and he canoodles yeah. all the ladies. Yeah. <laughs> and Jonathan Frakes, who plays Riker, is is just delightful. Like as the show goes on, like I feel like he starts out as like he's meant to be like the rakish one, mm-hmm. but as the show goes on, you're just like oh, you're adorable. Yeah, and, <laughs> he gets he gets cuter as the show goes on, yeah. but like he is a great episode in um, Matter of Honor. That mm-hmm. was one that they aired a lot and that I saw as a kid. Where they lend him as an in an officer exchange program to a Klingon ship. That's right. Yeah, that's a and really good one. Yeah, he has to like out Klingon the Klingons. Yeah, and part of that involves him getting Picard to trust him and surrender the ship at yeah. one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it has some interesting things to say about cultural exchange. And I mean, the Klingons Definitely. are very big and broad. And yes, um, yes, Klingon yeah. Klingon culture is. Very interesting, and yeah. um, and definitely lots of people have delved into it more deeply than we have. Sure, um, yeah. But but I'm definitely interested to hear your thoughts on on Klingons because well, it's interesting because the you know Star Trek does this a lot with its aliens where it'll present them kind of as a caricature, yeah, and then it'll be like, no, actually, you just don't understand how how deep their culture is. Yeah, like there's a whole thing about Klingon opera, yeah. <laughs> Yes. It's like no, you know, no, none of your art has like the depth of feeling of right. Klingon opera, right? And of course, and to us, it just sounds like cacophony, right? But, right? But it's like <laughs> so, you know, deeply moving, and they have all these kind of mythic elements that we would recognize, like they fought for twelve days and nights on Mount whatever, you know, right. uh, with um, Kales, who's their mm-hmm. warrior, right. warrior Jesus, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I think they. They talk a lot about like Klingon delicacies, and of course, they're always presented as disgusting and stuff. But I, I... do love the episode uh, where 
Worf's human adoptive parents. Come. Oh yeah, it's the so Russians. cute. It's yeah. so cute. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and I like when um, uh, Guinan played by uh, Whoopi Goldberg. The great Whoopi Goldberg. She finds that uh, <laughs> she gives Worf prune juice, and he's mm. like, "This is a warrior's drink." <laughs> <laughs> but the Klingons are great, and and they, I think, kind of. Uh, I guess Data Data is the sort of Vulcan stand-in, but there was yeah. a lot of interaction with the Vulcans and the Romulans and stuff uh, yeah. early on, and in well, in the earlier series and the Klingon, you get a lot more Klingon in yeah. this one because yeah. they're they're fun, they're swashbuckling. Yeah, you know? they're they're the they're the dwarves of the yeah kind and, of I don't know now maybe. and also they're kind of. There, there's an orientalizing aspect to them. For sure, that, for sure. You know, they're trying to sort of do a, a, a weird Western take on like, a sort of vaguely Eastern seeming feudal culture. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think uh, there was a criticism of Star Trek I read just the other day, and it was an AAPI person I don't know, who said it, and obviously with more knowledge than I have, but they basically say like Star Trek's thing is like everyone assimilates into being an American. Yeah. And no, like, other real cultures are represented except as, like, fetishes or tokens. Yeah. I think that's and, a really fair criticism. Yeah, I think it is, because even when you have, like, an actual Asian character, like Keiko mm-hmm. in Next Gen or Ensign Harry Kim in Voyager, mm-hmm. you really don't get much of their culture. Like, they show a Keiko eating with chopsticks, and that's, like, as or, close as you get. <laughs> or what's his name? Oh, my God, George Takei. Yeah. And- George, yeah, Sulu. Sulu, and, thank um, you. In the first one, but you really, they are like assimilated yes. uh, Asian people. And this, yeah. and I mean, with Commander Chakotay in Voyager, they try a little bit to mm-hmm. represent some of his, his real native heritage, but um, it's again kind of in this assimilated. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's treated the same way as Worf's. It's like, oh, that's cute that you do your, your little dancey things. Right. You know, right. and they have their own weird, eight, um, like pantomime version of Tai Chi that the Klingons do that yep, Worf yep, teaches everybody. Yep, yep, so it's all very tokeny. It's and, very yeah, that's very interesting and that's a yeah. really good point and something that I'm I think whenever I watch it, I every once in a while I'm like Ew. Yeah. And but famously there's an episode where they go to a planet that's like an African coded planet <laughs> and it's very cringe Ooh. and anytime something resembling an Asian culture is depicted it's super cringy and uh, appropriate yeah um, yeah uh, at least that's uh, that's what I'm given you know it's like they have yeah. a couple token characters that said you know I do want to give Star Trek its due for and LeVar Burton said this yeah. he was like Star Trek was the first piece of fiction I read that in, invent, envisioned black people included in the yes. future. Um, and uh, Nichelle Nichols Michelle, yes, and LeVar as, Burton. Uh, Uhura. Yeah, but then on even with that, Uhura is kind of hypersexualized. Yes. Even yeah. though that was scandalous at the time because, oh, Kirk kisses a black woman. Right, Whoa. right. And Geordi is rendered kind of completely sexless. Yes, he's... As uh, Anson Harry Kim is, uh, I mean, correct me, Voyager people, but I don't think Anson Harry really gets to, like, have that same kind of sexual energy that Worf and Jonathan Frakes and them have. Yeah, and I, I yeah. think Jordy has one romantic plotline, and it ends with him learning that she's married. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, 
And okay, and that's a very valid criticism. If I may offer perhaps a different way of viewing it, I'm not sure that this is. Um, I'm not. I, I don't want to give Star Trek credit it doesn't deserve. But the the friendship between Geordi and Data, I think, is a very beautiful kind of asexual romance. That, that is a good. That's you a, can. I, I, I certainly don't think it was intended that way. But I think there's there's yeah. opportunity to see that that kind of representation in the story. Again, it wasn't intentional, so we can't really give. And, uh, Gene Roddenberry and what's his face. And Star Trek is way ahead of its time with uh, some gender identity stuff. Definitely. Um, there's an episode where Worf falls in love with uh, an alien who her people don't have gender mm-hmm. and they're going to like expel her from society because she wants to be a woman. Yeah. And there's that. And then the offspring where um, Data creates like a child. Yeah. And the child chooses its gender. And I and isn't there, isn't there, an, it, I'm not sure if it's in... Uh, next generation or not, but there is, I think there is a transgender Klingon character. Well, I could be wrong. I there might be, wrong. be, but there's but, Jadzia Dax on Deep Space Nine, and Jadzia Dax yes, is a symbiote. I think that's what I'm thinking yeah, of. Yeah, and so we meet Jax, uh, Jadzia Dax, we meet Dax mm-hmm. As, mm-hmm. as in a female humanoid body, but right before that, the the symbiote had been in a male body. That's right. And so there's an episode where like someone who had fallen in love with Dax as a man comes onto the station and right. Dax is like, oh, you know, just trying to strike it up. But then, you know, so they, they deal with some of that. But um, I'm not the person you yes, know, to, neither. to speak with intelligence on these issues. I just know that they took a swing at it a long time before anybody else. And yes, I'm not and asking anybody to be happy with crumbs, but I'm no, just trying to no, I'm just I'm trying cert- to look at it from as many sides not, but as I, I can. But I do think I do think that Star Trek, not just Next Generation, but Star Trek as a whole ha- kind of paved the way in science fiction in mainstream science fiction in a way that it hadn't been done before, both for representation of black people and and you know maybe transgender, maybe uh, I'm not I'm I'm not very eloquent right now, but basically you know we get we get some of these crumbs, but the crumbs were important to lead to bigger things. They could be kernels, right? Yeah, crumbs. kernels. They're like popcorn kernels. They, seeds. They, yes. <laughs> Tiny seeds. Tiny little seeds that did grow because as as I've talked about on the show and we've talked about before um i feel like there's a lot more interesting and progressive let's say progressive politics in science fiction than there is in fantasy and right um and and i think that a lot of the idealism of star trek lends itself well to that right yeah and i mean I mean, it is it is very revolutionary. Speaking of revolutions, I mean, yeah. it's space luxury, gay space communism, yeah. right? Yeah. So the idea of a world where there's no money and ostensibly, I mean, there's war, but it's not it's not between factions, uh, small factions yeah. in the Federation, yeah. and even like the Klingon Empire and the Federation, and even the Romulans to an extent are in an uneasy kind of peace. Mm-hmm. Because that sort of competition for resources is not what drives conflict, yeah. at least in theory. Now, I think 
you can say that Deep Space Nine, they kind of bring the two things Star Trek got rid of, money and war. Right. And they brought, <laughs> and they brought both back. Yep. yep. Um, and, we're getting, and we're getting some of that in Picard, too, like yeah. some of the aftermath of that. But, but yeah, there's a lot. I think there's I think that Star Trek is as a franchise is really important or was really important, has been really important in kind of our collective culture, our yeah. collective nerd culture and just right. just mainstream media and um, what kind of stories we want to yeah. tell. And so, you know, like the diplomatic and and societal like vision that they have mm-hmm. and their and their vision of conflict resolution too right and um you know diplomacy as the go-to tool in the tool bag yeah rather than violence yeah is you know it's it's great it's this sort of space narodism gender equality like we're all just kind of doing our yeah. thing and um i do think to the extent that star trek isn't just all Western assimilation. They do try to show that the different cultures in the Federation, mm-hmm. at least that aren't just Earth, because Earth is just America. Yeah. But yeah. they do have like the Betazoids <laughs> and the Vulcans yes. and a, a few other token um, animal or not animals, um, cultures <laughs> that are represented. We're tired. Um, We're tired. Yeah. I'm, I'm just home from work. Yeah. It's a super aspiration in the same way that a character like Superman or Captain America. Definitely. Um, is flawed in many ways, but ultimately is presenting a, a more positive vision um, for how we conduct ourselves in society. Yeah, vision. Uh-huh, vision, get it. All right. So, um, okay. So, more wine stuff? Yeah, a little more wine stuff. I think you're going to appreciate this. Okay. I gave Riker Rioja. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's spicy. Because he's spicy and he's, he's uh, got a swarthy beard. He does, and he's uh, he's a Lothario. Yeah. I, well, I don't know if he's I a love Lothario, the like but... weird um, like gowns that they dress yeah. Riker and sometimes even Picard in, where they're yeah. like sort of like a <laughs> a man kimono romper. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and there is, of course, the great scene where BB Newworth is an alien. Oh. Um, the planet yes. that Riker's in, uh, like infiltrated That's to study, right. and yes. she tries to have sex with him. Yeah. She's like, "I'll let you go, but you have to have sex with me." Yeah, I've always wanted to make love to an alien. <laughs> <laughs> it's just this awesome cameo from BB. Newark. I know, I love it. <laughs> I love it. There are some great cameos on the show, there, and some great kind of like smaller side characters who 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 show up every once in a while. Yeah. Um, but it, but. What I also wanted to say is it's just such a strong ensemble. And and most most Star Trek shows have really strong ensembles, but I feel like TNG really stands out. Um, yeah. And I mean, again, I say I, I think that Marina Sirtis's character often gets the short end of the stick. I agree. I, I think the female characters generally get yeah. the short end of the stick. Again, we're in a we're in an aspirational, you know, yeah. equality, equality, utopia. But it's still being told through the lens of people who have benefited very much from the patriarchy. So, right. so obviously, there's a skew there. Anyway, carry on. Uh, also, well, sidebar, um, we were at Dragon Con a few years ago, and we went to a TNG panel with Marina Sirtis, Brent Spiner, or Brent Spinner? I don't know how to I, say it. I don't know. Uh, who plays Data, uh, Michael Dorn... Was Gates McFadden? Gates there? McFadden was there, and, and then there was someone. The else. moderator was the actor who plays Ensign Harry Kim. Oh yes, that's right. But was there someone else from 
No, because because Patrick Stewart wasn't there, Lavar Burton wasn't there, and Frakes wasn't and there. Frakes wasn't there. So, but it was it was so fun. And but Marina Sirtis is like the polar opposite of Deanna Troy oh, in real life. She's, she's a firecracker. She's such a firecracker. She's awesome. <laughs> she was so great. They were so great. And and she and Gates McFadden were both pretty. At this point, can be pretty blunt. About, about yeah, the their, sexism, yeah, and, the sexism and, and harassment and, and stuff on the show, and you know, like they, you know, they were always making Marina Sirtis lose weight, uh, and and because because let's let's face it, those unitards are unflattering. Yeah, they, I don't know, I don't know yeah. how anybody. Could I do look. love whenever um, Michael, <laughs> uh, whenever Jonathan Frakes or John Luke Picard, sorry, yeah. Sir Patrick, yeah. whenever they stand up, you can see them like yeah, yanking, just, down yanking down their, their unitards. Because <laughs> 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 they just bunch up. Apparently, one thing they said was that they were always giving uh, both Marina Sirtis and Jonathan Frakes a hard time for their weight, which is shitty, um, which is awful and terrible. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, a part, a big part of Hollywood and television culture. Yeah, it's 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 a bummer. It's a bummer that the the on set culture was was a little toxic, yeah. um, which unfortunately is the norm. And hopefully that's changing. Yeah. So 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 Troy I was thinking I would give her Beaujolais. Oh, I think Beaujolais is nice. a good one for Troy because it's very pretty. It's a very pretty, very yeah. quote unquote feminine wine. But a little joie de vivre. Absolutely. She likes but, chocolate. Absolutely. Um, love Beaujolais and chocolate. But also Beaujolais, when it's the really good Beaujolais, are some of my absolute favorite wines in the world. They are just spectacular and have great balance structure and they're they can you know really really surprise you and really impress you and despite the fact that the writers didn't give troy much of an opportunity to really surprise and impress you um at least i think personally um i still think marina sirtis did a great job yeah and uh, and the character and the character and the character is is a very interesting character for sure i'm just going down the list here crusher I have a couple different ideas for her. Um, I kind of like, I, I gave her possibly Barolo or Barbaresco, and I like that for her because um, it's a it's a light-bodied red wine, but it's got really intense tannins. Yeah. And Crusher's got, she's very kind and smooth, has nice presence, but she's got a, she's got a bite to her, well, too. Well, and I, I think in her episodes, the show uses her character, and especially because she's a doctor, to examine right. ethical quandaries. Yes, yes. So she has one, I think it's called The Upper Hand, where she's kidnapped by a, like a terrorist leader. Right. And the whole episode basically is her arguing with this terrorist leader yeah. about, um, you know, the morality of insurgencies and, you know, what do we do when one side has a massive power imbalance over the other side? And right. who are you to judge me? But she's like, oh, but I'm trying to protect all life. And, and he in- he forces her to interrogate that argument. Yeah. You know, yeah. And so she mm-hmm. she has that. She has the one where she's in love with another symbiote character, mm-hmm. Ambassador Odon. Yep. I remember that one. Um, and then there's like the Scottish... There's like the Outlander episode. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I don't remember that one as well. I don't think I, I. For some reason, I've seen that one a lot because like we would put it on when we go to bed, and 
uh, but we put it on like a couple episodes earlier. But I would I kept waking up for that one, <laughs> and you were asleep. But I I was like, oh, I guess I'll just watch it. <laughs> it's problematic. It's definitely problematic, but sort of fun. He's like a he's like a ghost who's possessed her. And, oh, great! Yeah, I love it. Yeah, super fun. Super <laughs> and fun. Gates McFadden is really really charming and all yes. all her stuff. Yeah, and, she is. And you know she's she's Plus, a tap what a great dancer. name. What a great name. Yeah, Gates McFadden. Gates McFadden. And she and she teaches data to tap dance. Yeah. Yeah. On one episode. Yeah. And oh, and she teaches him acting too. She does like the oh, acting she teaching. Does, she does. I yeah. mean there's there's episodes where Picard is coaching data like mm-hmm. privately. Mm-hmm. But Gates McFadden like directs the plays mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. they put on plays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so she yeah, does a lot of fun. she does a lot of the cultural life yeah. of the of the ship. Yeah. Um, which is which is interesting that being the kind of scientific paragon as well that she's also got an artistic side yeah. to her. Although it's that almost like people can have dimensions. Yeah, see that doesn't yeah. surprise me actually because all the scientists I know are also like like shreddy mercury on the guitar, like just virtuosic yes. at some other thing, yeah. whether it's nature photography or guitar or like you know they have picard play his little flute mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and uh yeah i think that that's you know and that's again an aspirational thing like what if yeah we did our we we fulfilled our responsibilities to each other and like yeah. you do your duty but also like because you don't have scarcity like yeah you have time for these you know, cultured For pursuits that only the aristocracy would have had access to right, before because right. they never had to like work for food. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's a really nice thing about the show is that it, there's always kind of joie de vivre, as you said before. Yeah. There's like a, yeah. a appreciation of life. Yeah. They're representing a culture to us, like a, like a whole tribe, not, and how right. that tribe encounters you know, various things, but we're not just watching them fight or try to escape all the time. A lot of the scenes in the show, the great scenes in the show are like on the holodeck at, mm-hmm. at 10 forward. Yeah. Um, or like strolling through, you know, a yard in, in France right. or, or wherever on Absolutely. whatever planet. Yeah. And they talk about the importance of leisure and recreation in a way that like a modern corporate culture can't even fathom. Like they're like, right. you have to, you have to self care. Okay. So, so give me the resources and time to do that. Oh no, yeah. JK. Yeah, yeah. Be at work at eight. <laughs> you know? and, oh boy, yeah. And Star Trek is like, no, actually, these characters have leisure time. Yeah. And so I, I love that about the show. I think you know we've discussed the problem problematic aspects of mm-hmm. the, the romantic dynamics in the show, but I do yeah. think the relationship between Marina Sirtis and um, Riker. Mm-hmm. Uh, is really Troy I keep going and back and forth between character and actor. We know they're interchangeable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but that's a nice complex multidimensional relationship. Definitely. Yeah. Um certainly the 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 father and son relationship between Worf and uh and his son. Oh my god, Alexander. 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 And then uh the few times you get to see Sir Patrick uh, yeah, <laughs> get romanced is fun, and then uh, I really like the uh, Chief O'Brien and Keiko relationship. Yeah, yeah. I think that they have some nice scenes together. I think so too. I and think... I do love Colm Meany. Yes, he's 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 fun. Um, oh, that's another uh, episode that I really love. It's basically Colm Meany's episode. It's called The Wounded, and that yeah. guy who plays the warden on Shawshank. 
That's is the like right. rogue captain, and they yeah. sing that the Irish the song. The Irish song that you um, you you were your you minstrel were... minstrel boy to the war has gone. Yes, uh, yeah, I am obsessed with that song. Yes, you were so really much. into it for a while. You were playing it on the guitar a lot. Um, yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. What nothing wrong with a good Irish ballad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, like I said, there's there's so many good so many good characters and so many good episodes on this show and you know i don't think i could tell you much about like the plot like over any overarching plots that happen in the show really well they're usually two three episode arcs and they're usually in the middle or the end of the seasons yes yes so like there's obviously the borg one the best of both worlds Mm mm-hmm there's Time's Arrow where they go back in time to keep Data from dying right, and they meet right. Mark Twain. Right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. super fun. Um, there's, uh, oh, The Chain of Command is another really good one. That's where Ooh, Picard yeah. gets captured and tortured and they try, yeah. to, they try to break him and it's super creepy because they're trying to get him to say there are five lights when there's only four. Right. And oh, at, that at, one's super creepy. Yeah, and at the end he's like, by the by the last by the end there, right before I got rescued, I really believed I could see five lights. Yeah. And it's like And it's like that's how bone inter- chilling. Yeah, that's how torture works, torture kids. Works. <laughs> yeah. So don't do it. Don't do it. Cops and military. Yep. Don't do that. Yep. Let's see, we've done the lawyer episodes. Gotta do you gate I gate, got it. Gates McFadden. We get we're on to data. Yeah, we're on to Data, and okay. I gave Data Riesling. Okay. I think Riesling is good for him because it's got such high acidity, and he's so... The other thing you can talk about with, with, with Data is, and that I've talked about on the show before, is just like, you know, there is a certain amount of synthetic wine and research into synthetics in wine, and I think, you know, in ag- agriculture and food, generally speaking, like, you know, there's... We're we're possibly headed in that direction where um, more and more things are going to be synthetic. But I think Riesling's a really good one for him because he can be so sweet. He has such sweet moments. Yep. And, or he can be dry. Or he can be very dry. He's got dry sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And uh, but he's always got that high acidity, that sharpness to him. Absolutely. He's a great. He's a great character. Yeah. He's a really wonderful. And he's character. you know a wonderful lens into the show or yeah he's definitely one of the most memorable ai kind of characters yeah yeah it brings a lot of life to it yeah and then and then we've got wharf okay wharf wharf i am between two different grapes i think they both work um cabernet franc which i mentioned before one of the five main grapes of bordeaux which can be very, very different depending on where it's from or where it's made. But um, in the Loire Valley, in the northern part of France, um, there's a region called Chinon. And there's a couple of regions around there where you find Cabernet Franc that's really earthy mm. and very funky and dry and sometimes really weird. Sometimes people say tree bark is a tasting note they get from Cabernet Franc. And so I feel like... Um, I feel like that's good for Worf because he can be very kind of, I don't want to say off-putting. Well, he's intense. He's very intense for sure and very rough. That's that's what I'm looking for more. Mm -hmm. Very rough. And cab cab francs can be very rough. Mm. um, But they can also be very smooth. And I feel like Worf is, is like a Cabernet Franc that just needs to breathe a little bit. And once you spend some more time with him, you realize he's not just this caricature of... 
right. uh, this kind of, you know, rough, gruff warrior character. Um, but there's a lot more going on there. And even he, like in the Klingon episodes, you see that he's like, he's kind of overcorrecting for yes. having grown up human. Yes. Um, and all the other Klingons have like these big body senses of humor. Yeah. And they're always drinking yeah. together. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they have that kind of, you know, and enjoy the, enjoy yeah. life. Yeah. He's very um, restrained comparatively. Yeah. He's yeah. arguably the show's like conservative character. Right. Right. Um, just because he's trying to connect with his heritage and that's the way he knows how. Um, right, exactly. And I think that, you know, that's a cool lesson, too, is, you know, when we're exploring ourselves, the kind of the the paths we go down don't always end up where we think. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And, and who you are versus how you were raised versus, I mean, who you are is part of how you were raised and many other right. factors. But but he's um, ultimately true to himself. Absolutely. Which is, which is what matters. Yes. Um, um, I so was going to suggest Sangiovese. See, I gave Sangiovese to Jordi LaForge. Oh, hey. Um, all right. Because I think, because, because uh, as you all know, Sangiovese is my favorite. But there's something about Jordi that's like very fun, but also complex, um, a little spicy. He's got a little, he's got a good sense of humor. Oh, yeah. Um, no, he's, he's, he's like the friendly, friendly character. He does yeah. a masterful job of delivering all that tech jargon. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> the space, space jargon. Yeah. Um, um, I'm open to, I'm open to a different pairing for him. Um, I would say, I think Pito Noir could also be a good one for Jordy, just mm-hmm. because it's a, that's a very friendly wine, I think. Um, that, that also has a lot of complexity to it. I don't know. I feel like, that was that was one of the first ones that occurred to me after Bordeaux for Picard. I thought Jordy's Jordy's son to be Okay, yeah. It's also, it's it. also like you know. Sure, there can be great Sangioveses, but like when we were in Italy, if you just order a glass of like table wine, it's going to be Sangiovese mm. or Montepulciano or something. And I feel like that's very Jordy Laforge. Like he's very congenial mm-hmm. and yeah, and he's insightful and yeah, um, sensitive and you know. In a really cool way. Yeah. Um, and he's he's also the character who's most dedicated, I think, to helping Data become more human. Yes. He's, sort of, he's the most human yes. member of the crew. Absolutely. And, including and, having to struggle against disability. Right. Exactly. And that's that's another thing that we haven't talked about. But and and that I'm again, I'm not sure if that was intentional you know or if when it they, was always handled or if it was always perfectly. handled well um i i don't remember specifically the the geordie episodes where they they do make a point at at one time of talking about how he's always in pain mm, while wearing the visor yeah because the signal until he gets the eye implants in the yeah. movies but yeah the like signals that the visor sends um mean that he's always experiencing a little extra hardship mm. than everyone else just walking around doing their jobs um fun sidebar i just remembered this i used to have a pair of glasses like the Jordy laforge the visor visor um but they were but they were just glasses yeah. but they were like um kaleidoscope yeah. lenses yeah. and and I, so but i would yeah. and again i you know i wasn't like super hyper aware as a kid of what i was watching but i I always remembered LaForge because right. he's it's very memorable. But they also talk and, about how he sees in a way that nobody else sees. Yeah. 
Yeah. And like he, I mean, in his, it's like because of the magic visor. So he can right. see like the electromagnetic spectrum. Right. And whole kinds of light right. that we can't. Um, yeah. And the price of that is some of the hardship he has, He's I guess. And it's sort of yeah. two two sides of the coin. Yeah, uh, I don't know if either one is handled particularly well, but I don't. I, I, I think, can't speak again. To they it, took a swing. Yeah, <laughs> you know? again. Yeah, I mean, at least we have a representation of disability in yeah. mainstream media, and obviously, Lavar Burton, just legend, legendary. Yeah, he's Lavar for Jeopardy. I know. Levar. <laughs> I love you, Lavar. I love you, Lavar. You can't disappoint a picture. <laughs> That's uh, one of the best moments ever. But yeah, I love I love the relationship between between LaForge and Data. Um, that's yeah. one of the one of the real hallmarks of the show, I think. Yeah, one of the the great bromances. One of the great bromances of all time. Okay. All right. Speaking of magical black women. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I didn't come up with a with a pairing for Guinan. So you you can help me maybe. Ooh. But yes, that that was one thing I did want to mention in terms of like, okay. So on the one hand, Star Trek was good at casting people of diverse backgrounds. On the other hand, it didn't mm. necessarily deal with yeah. the representation of those people super well. So, so yeah. as you were saying, Guinan very much often feels like the the stereotype of the magical Negro, quote unquote. I'm, uh, which is a whole thing that you can read about. I'm, I don't know enough about it yeah. to to talk about it. But they they let her have a little more fun as the show goes on. But that's yeah. that's her role for the most part is to give a character like. Exactly what they needed to hear. Exactly right. when they needed to hear right. it. Right. And then every once in a while, you see this. Oh, she's actually got weird superhuman powers. And right. You know. So, and she's super old, right? Yeah. She's she's, she's like, like we don't know how old she is. Yeah. She looks at one point like she's gonna fight Q. Like she has the power right. to fight Q. Right. Which be, like that makes me wonder like well then why the Borg anyway. Yeah. But, yeah. But, and it raises a lot of questions. And she but... like duels Worf in a target game and totally yep. kicks his ass. Yep. Yep. Um, so there's just a lot of, you know, yeah, magical black lady stuff. But Whoopi Goldberg, of course, crushes it. Um, yes. And know, I, anytime and, they give her something to do. And and on the other hand, um, you know, she runs the bar. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we all we right. all need that wise bartender from right. time to time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they kind of put those two tropes together. Yeah. The wise yeah. bartender and the magical black woman. Yes. Um, but for her, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I mean, I can see her coolly sipping a single malt scotch. Yeah, yeah. A nice peaty scotch. Yeah, she definitely could. From Isla. Yeah. I wonder if, you know, along those lines, maybe she'd like um, like a Syrah or something. Sure. Like one of the more rougher, rougher red wines or something. Because she can... Take it. Because she can take it. Um, <laughs> but that's also another thing about, well, like, oh, the black women can take it or something. Yeah, that's like another yeah. Pro- so problematic. I know. I know. Um, I'm going to come. I'm going to think more about it and come back come back to her. Maybe I'll splice something in mm. here or you'll have to follow up with me later, listeners. Um, okay. All right. Because I, I don't feel I don't feel as good about that yeah. pairing as I do about some of the others. She also um, does, um, she spends time in the in America in the 1800s. Right. So what were they drinking around then? Because she would have probably had that. In America in the 1800s? Like claret? Yeah. Well, that's Bordeaux. That's Bordeaux. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know actually what would have been. Well, that was around the time that they were like transplanting vines from Europe to America. Mm. So, you know, whatever, whatever they were transplanting at that point, which was actually a lot of Bordeaux grapes. So Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, mm. Cabernet Franc, etc., etc. Or just champagne. Yeah, why not? There was plenty Actually, of Actually, I feel like she would love a glass of champagne. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's probably what she drinks at the end of every night. She just yeah. pours herself a nice... When, again, she's got that kind of, that really playful side, like in the yeah. episode where they all become children. Yeah. And she's like, enjoy it. And she's she makes a lot of fizzy drinks. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I can well, see champagne Well, that was the other thing I was being... going to say. She'd, make, like, she'd be one of those like colorful cocktails because yeah. they are, they're always drinking those fun-looking cocktails. I saw something, I saw a meme the other day that was like, God bless the props person on Star Trek TNG for finding all these weird glasses. Oh, my God. And I if know. you pay attention in the bar scenes there's all these kind of weird funky glasses which is fun no, but not just the bar scenes I think and uh, and then last but not least uh, the ones that I wrote down I gave Wesley Crusher rosé I think that's perfect yeah. <laughs> much maligned much maligned poor Wesley can totally be good obviously Will Wheaton is a champion and we of love course, him of course yes but I mean Wesley I think has some good moments in the show Mm -hmm. and I especially like the one where they go to the academy and he's in trouble because they had a crash or something like that yeah yeah that's a very good episode and he's very good in it yeah um and also his scenes with Gates McFadden are usually pretty darn good yeah um and I see. I know everybody gives him a hard time I I like he doesn't bother me like I get it like he's a kid yeah, well, like, it's the same. It's the same thing. Like everybody hates Dawn, in right, Buffy, right, right. Because yeah. their adolescents are awkward and annoying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but but that's not the fault of the actors portraying yeah. them. <laughs> and yeah, and I mean, sh- do they have growth to do as actors? Yes. So did I at that yeah, age. Absolutely. And even now, I mean, but like. They, they, I think they both do a good job with what they're given to do. Yeah. Um, and I think Rosé is a perfect pairing. And yeah. God bless Wesley Crusher. God bless Wesley Crusher. Um, okay, so I see your last suggestion. My, There's an, well, well, an episode I could do a whole episode yeah, on. Yeah, I know. We can't, yeah, we can't talk about TNG without talking about this episode. Darmok, season yes. five, episode two. I wrote I wrote down Tarmok. I'm sorry. I forgot. It's Darmok. Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. Oh, it's just the most Star Trek-y, most beautiful uh, episode. It it truly it, is. It's, uh, you know, again, about trying to find common ground with other cultures. It does a great job of of building this metaphorical language that they yeah. have. And now that we, you know, are used to communicating with memes and and pop culture references. Yeah. I think it's even more salient because. Yeah, I think you're you right. Know, we talk about, you know, like. Oh, you know, like Buffy, or we talk about, you know, it's an older thing, but like Rebel Without a Cause, mm-hmm. or, you know, we have these iconic lines and scenes, like the, the the one meme that's going around from Star Wars now, the like, you're going to do this, right? Yeah. Right? Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the, yeah. As, and the memes that cycle through the kind of cultural zeitgeist. That's actually zeitgeist. really true. Oh, my God. We could do yeah. such a deep dive into this. Yeah. And but... I'm, I'm just, the way that they commit to this this speaking system yeah um which also like reminds me of kind of the 
the the like high poetry that mm, where a language mm-hmm. will have like a, a street dialect. Yeah. But then there's also like legal English. Yeah. And there's like, there's heightened text. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Poetic English. And mm-hmm. there's the same. There's the same for most languages. They have a highly formal mm-hmm. um, thing, and then they have the, the more common, the more colloquial. And yeah. and I think that. It's if you haven't seen it, you gotta see it. Yeah, I don't um, want to give it away because yeah, and peace. It's also a good puzzle solving episode. Yeah, they're trying you're... to figure out what all the phrases mean. And right, right. You have to use context clues. It's it's a great representation of how you can. It's also overcome the language barrier. And it's 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 you know what it also reminds me of is Arrival in yes, a different way. Yeah, it's all about um, communication. All about communication and and cooperation too. And it, and that's a beautiful thing, you know, cuz we enter into this world as we often do in these sci-fi worlds um where alien contact has already been made right. and you've established either you've got the universal translators or right. whatever it is that you the the ways that you right. have learned to communicate with with well, uh, and much like how we have Google Translate now, you can type the sentence into Google, but it doesn't know anything about the grammar or like right. the appropriate um, form of address or any other context. And so even though they can hear what the aliens are saying in English, it sounds like nonsense. Right. Um, and, it, and, and, it, and it ends up forging this awesome, you know, metaphorical storytelling way of not just communicating but thinking yeah and it's like like at one point john luke comes up tries to communicate with the other captain and he starts talking about gilgamesh and enkidu right at right uh, you know and it's the to conjure these iconic iconic images so you know like odysseus and the cyclops or right uh washington crossing the delaware or you know anyone that's culturally appropriate that you might you know know from your yes. own experiences yes um but but it, it's a it's a it's a beautiful ex- exploration i think of like how do you learn to communicate with somebody you know and 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 also yeah like you were saying like in in the modern world at this point you know w- we have enough access to information that we can sort of suss out or 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 find translators or we can yeah. figure out um what's going on but what happens if you find a totally new way of communicating how do you do it yeah and And... also i think a lot of our arguments as um societies and human cultures today we're looking at the same iconic images and moments Mm -hmm. and arguing about what they mean yeah you know and that's why we can't communicate even though we speak the same language as each other because we we're taking the same tableau and deciding it means a totally different thing yeah like if one you know if if one person thought Darmok and Jalad, you know, meant unity. Right. And one person thought it meant, you know, fight. Right. And that's kind of what we're, we're what? it's what we're dealing with. Yeah. No, it's a beautiful, I, I, I by far it is my favorite episode of the show. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I love a lot of the show, but it's, it's the one to me that I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is brilliant. The way they the way they went about this is yeah. brilliant. And when just and the world building that goes into it absolutely. too. Like you learn more about these aliens and how they are and who they are from this poetry. Yeah. Than you ever learn from just straight dialogue. Yeah. Another episode I want to give an honorable mention to is uh, Who Watches the Watchers, mm. where they make contact with like a proto-Vulcan Bronze Age right. culture, and right, it's right, all right. about yep. like what if. 
what if the first contact in human history had gone differently? Right. And we had been respectful and like mm-hmm. left each other alone <laughs> instead <Right>. of done <laughs> colonialism um, yep. and genocide. <laughs> and and it's also all about they they interrogate religion relentlessly on the show. I think it's yeah. fair to say it has a pretty atheistic outlook. And I think that's it's, fair to say. It's the whole the whole show is or the whole episode is they're convinced Picard is a god and he has to he has to keep religion from restarting in this culture right. that's already kind of gone through a a like a rationalization period or whatever. Right. Um so that's a good one. Obviously the big two parters are all super fun. Yeah. Best of both worlds is great. The Borg are terrifying. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say they represent communism. I don't think so. I think they represent fascism yeah. and the Federation is communism. Anyway, yeah. they represent a lot of things, but one of the things yeah. is homogeneity. Yes. Um yes. and conformity. Yes. Um, but then they explore the Borg identity a lot more later. So like I Borg is a really good episode where mm-hmm. the Borg is like, why, you know, he's suffering cause like the Borg are never alone. Right. And they're having to deal with, you know, the quiet in the mind for right. the first time. Right. Um, and they do that with seven of nine and Voyager a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but so those are good. Um, the, yeah, there's there's a just they're all so good for different yeah, reasons. Um, some some may age better than others. Yes, definitely. But, uh, <laughs> Let's re- this show started in I think 1987. Is it 87? I think it was I always, 87. I always I can't remember if it's 87, 88, or 89. But yeah, and then it had seven seasons. Yeah, I think it was 87 because I think it was done by 95 when they did the movie. Yeah, and because um, yeah, they did the first movie Generations. I think right after season seven. Mm-hmm. And that was 93, 94, mm-hmm. or, or around then. Around then, And then yeah. First Contact was 95. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, Star Trek. Star Trek. It's great. There's, there's so much to unpack. There's so much to talk about. Um, but I, I like the, the theme of planting the seed. Yeah. It planted a lot of seeds that I think have grown to uh, fruition in different ways. Um, yeah. And... And it's just a really, this show particularly is such a strong ensemble and um, has some really wonderful episodes. Yeah, and just generally has a positive outlook and a hopeful uh, view of the future. Which is refreshing. Yeah, yeah. I know we're in the age of dystopia because... Yeah, well, I think more and more, I think more and more people are, are getting a little fed up with grimdark and kind of seeking out media that's a little more optimistic. Yeah, and which I'm all for. I think I am too. Um, and and so if you're looking for for something a little a little bit brighter, a little more optimistic, that has some flaws, for sure. Check out Star Trek The Next Generation if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Cheers. Uh, all right. Cheers. We'll meet you on the holodeck. Yes. <laughs> the past. Pairing was created, hosted, and produced by Emma Sherjarko, with music and audio recording by Winston Shaw and logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. This episode was edited by Emma Sherjarko. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. And feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website, thepairingpodcast.com via email at pairingpodcast at gmail.com or on any social media platform. Come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast, where you can pledge as little as $1 a month 
and get access to exclusive content, customized pairings from me, live streams, and more. Also, check out our merch store on our website at thepairingpodcast.com slash merch. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening to Pairing, where you come for the stories and stay for the wine.